Welcome to the New Life Podcast. Here we want you to experience the grace of God. So through this sermon, we hope to come alongside you as you grow in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about New Life, please visit our website at newlifeonline.org. Here's today's message. Everyone repeat after me. Joy is a choice. All right. Now, <clears throat> trials are welcome. Now, well, <laughs> you're smart enough not to go ahead and do that. Uh, in Hebrews 12, 11, it says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So let's say this, everyone, trials are expected. Wonderful. Who is this guy that stands before you? I know a few of you, and that may be the reason why I'm here. Uh, Somebody told Pastor Brian, we know a guy that's, that's done some pulpit supply that served as an interim uh, pastor before, three different times, uh, here in Morton and Washington and Effingham, Illinois, years ago. And he said, we, we need somebody to fill in uh, from time to time. So while he's in Washington this morning, he said, could you speak to our group here in Morton? And I said, sure, I can, I can do that. And he said, we're doing a series called Standing on a Firm Foundation, and, and we'd like to talk about James 1. And James is a wonderful book. James tells us about these trials that are expected should bring joy to us as Christians, not because of the trial. Joy is a choice we make uh, that leads us to be stronger Christians, stronger churches, and impact our world. An individual or a, a ministry, a church that's been through trials and comes together in unity is able to impact the world around it because you've built on a firm foundation, a foundation of the Word of God through reading, study, memory, meditation, application, through prayers. You come boldly, fervently, expectantly before the throne and in unity as, as you unite for a single purpose, and that's to fulfill God's plan for your church. And we do all this with joy. What is joy? It's an inner expression, an inner celebration, a satisfaction of the soul that rises above our circumstances. And James addresses that. As we go to James 1, point number one, when your faith is tested, choose joy so you become more mature and more complete to serve God and others. I'll repeat that. When your faith is tested, choose joy. So that you become more mature, more complete to serve God and others. James 1, uh, he starts out and he says, uh, James, a servant 
of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to those who are scattered abroad, greetings. Well, I spend a lot of time on this. Who was James? Well, there's several people that could have been James. Uh, the two most prominent were James the Apostle, who was the pastor at the Church of Jerusalem, is mentioned in several of, of uh, the letters and in the New Testament. Or it could be James, the half-brother of Jesus. That's uh, kind of where I lean, kind of where Pastor Brian leans. But what, does, what matters is not who this James is, but what he is. And he said, I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's our rock and our foundation, the Lord Jesus Christ. The title bondslave is a title Paul used when he wrote Romans and Philippians, Philemon, when he wrote to Titus, Philippians, um, uh, Jude, the one chapter ver, uh, book of Jude, he uses that same title, that he was a bond slave. Peter uses the same title in 2 Peter. And now James uses it. He says, I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. I have no will of my own, no plan of my own, no, no goals of my own, but only that to serve my master. He was sold out. Everybody say sold out. That's James. Who does he write to? He says, I am writing to those of you who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You were of the 12 tribes of Israel, and now you have been scattered abroad in the dispersion. That dispersion came through persecution. And he says the words to them, greetings. In the Greek, that word also means Rejoice. Now, why would James tell people who have been persecuted and dispersed from their homes, uprooted, all that going on, and now they're spread out? They're not where they used to be, where they wanted to be, but they were spread out. Why does he say you can rejoice in that? You can rejoice because that's God's plan, and God's plan works. If you remember, Jesus said, you're going to be witnesses of me to the, to the disciples. You will be witnesses of me in Jerusalem and then Judea and then to Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. They just didn't realize that God would use persecution to get them there. Think about Paul. Everywhere Paul went and ministered, somebody persecuted him. Somebody caused, it was either the Jews or the Romans or Satan working through his, un, through the unsaved people in that area. And Paul was persecuted. And because of that persecution, Paul moved from city to city to city and constantly persecuted. But he says, I do that because <clears throat> it fulfills God's plan to take the gospel to the world. And that's what the plan of God does. Now, James 1, verse 2, 3, and 4. Let's look at that. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you have trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. 
And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. I think the key there is the the testing of your faith, or some versions say the trial of your faith. James says, when your faith is tested, choose joy. Why? Because you see the end result is a mature, well-rounded, complete individual who can serve God and who can serve others. He says, count it pure joy. Joy is that expression of inner celebration that rises above the circumstances. We have trials of many kinds, and James says you can expect those trials. It's not if trials come, it's when you are faced with trials, how are you going to react? He says, I want you to react with joy, that inner celebration, that settledness that comes through a firm foundation in the Word of God. We must choose joy in trials. You know, it's not, oh, yay, I'm going through a trial. This is wonderful. I'm glad this happened. I thought this week, how can you relate to that? And I came up with several analogies, but the one I landed on was health care. In a congregation, any typical congregation, there are a good number of people right now that are going through some kind of trial with their health. Last week, I went to the eye doctor. My eye doctor here in town saw something in my eye that he wanted to know more about, so he sent me to a specialist. And they did everything at the doctor's office. I could see better when I went in than I could see when I came out. They do everything at the doctor's office that they tell you not to do. Don't shine bright lights in your eyes. And that's all they did. Very... First, they, they put drops in your eyes, and they always say, this will sting a little bit. And, and then your pupil's really large, and that lets in a large amount of light. And so what do they do? They put you in front of a camera, and they flash a light to take pictures of your eye. And it hurts. And then they injected dye in, into my veins so that they could see if anything was going on in my eye. And it, she said, you might get a little nauseous with this, but if you get itchy or something, we'll stop and, and I'll get medical emergency personnel in here to help you. <laughs> How long have you been doing this? <laughs> but I, I, didn't, I didn't get sick. And it, but in the middle of that trial, I didn't say, wait a minute, stop, 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 stop. This hurts. Stop. Stop flashing that light. Stop telling me you're doing really good. It's almost over. Stop. Why didn't I have her stop? Because I wanted a proper diagnosis of my condition. So I endured the trial. And in the end, it was joyful because the doctor said, everything looks good. Uh, You don't need to come back for a while. 
And then I went outside in the sun just for hours. Just, But I endured the trial because I wanted the end result. I didn't stop the trial because I wanted to find out if there was anything wrong. So that's what God wants us to do, is to endure those trials because there's a positive outcome at the end. And so I, th- I also thought this week, what things can I consider joyful in the midst of a trial? And I thought of these six real quick. Number one, God is never blindsided by our trials. He knows what's going to happen. He knows when it's going to occur, and he knows what the end result is. We're blindsided sometime. <laughs> I was a, a member of a church in, in Effingham, Illinois. And one night, our pastor, uh, one Sunday night, preached a message, and when he was done, he walked down off the, the platform, and he walked around to a deacon, and he reached in his pockets, he handed him his keys, and said, it's all yours, and he walked out. Now, I mean, that room was dead silent, and our mouths were open. What just happened? I thought, well, maybe... This is a really edgy uh, illustration, and he's going to come back in and make a great point. And, and then we heard the door, and somebody said, hey, he's not coming back. <laughs> he just left. To this day, I don't know why he left, but he left. And <clears throat> I was not a, a, an elder or a deacon, so it's kind of like, hey, you guys, y'all get together and let me know what we're going to do. <laughs> I'm fine with that. What do we decide to do? Uh, What do we do? Well, God's not blindsided by that. He knew that was going to happen. And in our trials, he knows. Uh, The second point is God has a plan. He had a plan when that man walked out. He had a plan for our church. And uh, we didn't. We had no idea what we were going to do right then. But God has a plan. Everyone say, God has a plan. That's right, and, and what we chose to do, this is a big word, I was a, a biology minor in college, and the word is coalesce, and that means um, for a, a couple of objects or a group of objects to form around a, a, a center and have a tight bond, coalesce. It means to bond together, and that's what we decided to do as a church, we said, okay, we're not going to close this church because the pastor left. We're going to keep going. So what do we need to do? And we, we ended up, that was my first interim role. And they said, would you fill in while the search committee looks for a pastor? And, and I preached, and we didn't lose any members. We all stayed together. They, they found a good man to come, and he pastored that church for 20-plus years. So God had a plan, and it was a good plan. And actually, the church ended up better after that trial. And I think part of it was because we banded together, and we didn't say, eh, I'm going to give up. I'm done. God has a plan. Uh, Number three, God's plan will prevail. Uh, I love this verse, Psalm 115.3. You can hang your faith on that. It says, our God is in the heavens. 
He does whatever he pleases. You can't thwart, you can't stop, you can't hinder God's plan. And we can hang our faith on that. We can rejoice in that. God's plan will succeed. And four, five, and six are real simple. Uh, Trials should drive us to the Word of God. It never changes. It's understandable. As we read God's Word and get direction and we take that, that next step through our trial, God will reveal to us what we need to know. But we have to be in His Word. We have to read it, study it, memorize it, meditate it, and apply it. Live our lives the way God wants us to live. And the the, the fifth step is the trial should drive us not only to the Word, but to prayer. And I mentioned earlier that we should pray boldly, we should pray fervently, we should pray expectantly that God will reveal His plan to us as we need it revealed. And last, trials drive us to unity. Think about the early church. Why did the early church gather together for fellowship? Why did they bond together? Because they were persecuted. Their commonality was in that persecution. They say, we're we're being persecuted. We need to bond together so that we can make it through this trial. We're not going to shut down. We're not going to abandon the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to stay strong together. And we do that, James says, in verse 3, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And verse 4 says, perseverance must must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. He said, we endure that trial in perseverance. We have a firm foundation on which to stand. It's the Word of God. It's prayer. It's fellowship. It's ministry. And as that foundation, as we rest on that, we can face whatever trial we have. There's, Pastor Brian told me just a little bit, the big elephant in the room that we can't ignore, uh, the church in Washington has been through a trial. That trial was because somebody made a bad choice. And we know this, that regardless of choices that were made, that was not part of God's plan. God still has a plan, and His plan will succeed. Uh, Those Those choices, I'm sure God put roadblocks in somebody's way and said, think about it, don't make that choice, this is not part of my plan. You may have been there in your own personal life, and you say, I want to do this, and God says, "Mm, that's not the best idea, that's not part of my plan, you're not settled in my word, get back in the word. How many times do you see in the word where it uses the illustration of a path. Get on the path. Don't turn to the right hand or the left hand. Remove your foot from the wrong path. 
God says, you've got to make a choice when you're on my path. You've chosen to be a Christian. You've chosen to identify with Jesus Christ. Stay on that path and don't get off to the side. But that trial gives us an opportunity to mature and grow in our faith and our reliance on God. And it says, let faith finish its work so that you may be complete and mature and well-rounded. Perseverance, steadfastness, patient, settled. We see people that are in the midst of the trials and we say, I'd like to be like that person. Nothing rocks their world. They're just, they're settled. They're confident in their faith that God will see them through the trial. That's the people we need to be. And we need to allow some time to work through trials in our own life and in our church. Um, Time in the word, time in prayer, time in counsel and fellowship. Psalm 27, 14 He says, uh, wait on the Lord, be strong, and take heart. That's the perseverance, be strong and take heart. Wait on the Lord. Maturity is is a process. And if we could survey everybody in the room, we would see all different levels of maturity in faith. Hopefully, the older you get, the more mature you become. That's what, as a parent, that's what you do with your children. I want my children to mature and grow. I don't want them to stay at the same level. God doesn't want that for his children. He does not want us to stagnate, to stay where we are. He wants us to grow. Maturity is a process. My first year uh, teaching, I was a teacher when I started out my career. And my first year teaching, a little school up in northern Illinois... And we, uh, we took turns as teachers supervising the detention hall after school. And you fine folks may not understand what detention is, and maybe a few of you do. Uh, I had detention hall. This is about the second or third week of school. I was 22 years old, just out of college. I didn't have a class in college on how to supervise detention. I had put students in detention, and now I had to supervise them. So, needless to say, I was a little lax, and I let them get away with nothing major, but I didn't make them follow the rules. And on their way out of detention, one of them stopped and said, I've never had so much fun in detention all my life. Which I could have brushed off had not another teacher heard that. One of the more seasoned teachers that was there, an English teacher, I believe. And she walked over to me after the students had left. She walked over and she said, you know, you're going to make your job and my job more tough if you don't make them follow the rules. Now... Unlike all of you fine people, uh, I don't like to be corrected. And especially not when you're 22 years old, you just got out of college and you know everything, except how to manage detention, obviously. Uh, She approached me the right way, though, and she said, there's something bigger here than you, 
and that's all of us together. We need to manage this so that they learn, make detention tough so they learn not to come back. I don't know if they have detention in schools today. I, I suppose you've all learned how to not get in detention by now. But the next day, I had detention all week. The next day, when they came in, I said, everybody separate. You can't sit together. There's no talking. Get your books out. You were to bring something in here to study. If you didn't, you'll be in detention tomorrow. And on the way out, that same kid, I don't know how he got there two days in a row, but he managed to do that really well. On the way out, he, came, he said, I thought detention was going to be fun again. You're no fun. And he walked out. I said, well, that's kind of the idea, right? But I matured that day because I was able to, to not be offended at what she said. I took it to heart and realized, oh, this, this is serious, and people are, people are watching, and I need to manage this the way everyone else would manage it and not create a problem. So that was one step in the, the maturation pro, process of, of being a teacher. And, and thankfully, uh, it worked out. But I matured quickly that day in that area, and I became more well-rounded, more mature. Look at Joseph. How long did it take Joseph to get to a point in his walk with God that God said, now you're ready to be a co-manager of this Egyptian empire and to save your people? It took years suffering in prison and, and even though he thought he had an out when the, the butler and the baker came in and he said, hey, remember me. And, and I believe it was the butler who said, I'll remember you. Uh, but he didn't. He forgot. And Joseph languished, waiting for that day when somebody would come and say, you can get out of prison. And finally it happened. But Joseph waited. James says you, you want to be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And God completes our gifts so that we can serve each other, so we can serve our world. There's an old saying that says, trials will make you better or they'll make you bitter. Which do you choose? But you say, well, I've, I've had a trial. I've got a trial just washed up on my shore, and I've never faced this before. I don't know how to manage this trial. Well, James has this covered in verse... Um, Five, and this is our second point. Seek God first when you face a trial and be single-minded. Seek God first when you face a trial and be single-minded. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask of God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And here's the promise. And it will be given him. God knows, God understands our trials. Trials that we don't expect, that we didn't plan for. Can we get ahead of those trials? Yes. If we're students of the word, if we're faithful in prayer, if we're, we're faithful to our gathering together, if, if we're faithful in fellowship, we can get ahead of those trials and be a little more prepared, but we're never completely prepared. We never know what's going to come into our life. 
I mean, in, in Effingham, when the pastor walked out, I'd never faced that before. I'd had pastors resign churches, but they would resign and, and it'd be a couple months out that they were going to leave or a, a month or we'd face that, but we'd never faced anybody walking out at the end of a service and say, that's it, you're on your own. I was at a church uh, here in town. We had a doctrinal dispute. The, 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 our articles of faith, one of those articles of faith, somebody said, we don't like that one, and we, we want to change that article of faith, what we believe. And the pastor came to me, and he said, you know, we're, the deacons and I are working through this. We're going to have a meeting and discuss this. He said, would you read up on what we believe and why we believe it in case something comes up in the, the meeting, and would you support us in that position? And I said, I would. We had the meeting, and the people aired their point, and <clears throat> uh, I don't even know if we voted, but we said, no, we're not going to change who we are as a church, because if we do that to cater to one opinion, we're going to have to do that to cater to a lot of different opinions. And, you know, if, if you believe differently than your church believes, you might be more comfortable at another church. Find a church that believes what you believe. Don't try to change ours. And those, those people left. And the people that stayed, I think we were a little more mature after that trial and said, yeah, we stood our ground. We stood on what we believe. We stood on our foundation that was built, and we didn't let it rock us. We didn't let it change us. Wisdom. As a Christian, uh, wisdom is more than facts and mental acuteness. It's spiritual discernment. It's the ability to, to see life and to make correct judgments about things that are consistent with God's word and God's will. That's wisdom. And God said, if you lack that wisdom, you ask, and I will give it to you. You know, James addresses that in James 3.17. He says, I'll tell you what wisdom is. Wisdom's pure. And wisdom is considerate, and wisdom is full of mercy, and it's peace-loving, and wisdom is being submissive, and it's full of good fruits, it's impartial, and it's sincere. And he said, if you lack those, I will give you what you need to be wise. Now, he goes on to say that if we lack it, He'll give it to us generously. I like that word. God's generous with us. He longs for us to be wise. And it says he does that without finding fault. Pastor Brian and I talked about that a little bit, without finding fault. Um, I go to God in prayer. God never says, oh, there's Jeff again. We've been over this and over this and over this. I've directed him here and here and here in the scriptures, and he's just not getting it. And James says, it's not that. Everybody say, not that. God's patient with us. And he says, I'll give you what, what you need. That's the promise in verse 5. It will be given. Whatever we need, God provides it. 
God longs to do that for us because it promotes his kingdom and it builds mature believers. We can ask boldly, we can ask expectantly, we can ask fervently. But there's one caution in verse 6. He says, but when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. In, in the ESV version, it says we must ask in faith. Ask believing without doubt. Hebrews eleven six and without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. No doubt. Pastor Brian and I sat in his office and, and worked through this a little bit and he says, I want everybody to know that doubt is not questions. In Psalms, how many times did David say, why, God? Why have you done this? Or, where are you, God? I look for you and I can't find you. Where are you? But in the end of those Psalms, you'll see that David always comes back and says, you know, I sought the Lord and I found him. Habakkuk. Habakkuk said, God, you've promised to save Israel. How long is it going to be? How long, O oh Lord? And at the end of Habakkuk, he says, I see the salvation of the Lord. It doesn't matter how long it takes. He says, I, I see that God has a plan, and his plan is good, and his plan will prevail. Doubt, though, is divided loyalty. Yep, God, um, you have an answer, but I'm not going to wait for it. Or you have a, a, a plan, but so do I. And he says, people that doubt, people that are restless like that, uh, are like the waves of the sea. In Mark 9, 24, the man came to Jesus and had the demon-possessed son. And he said, Lord, if, if you can save him, I believe you can. And Jesus said, you, you believe I can? You want to know if I can save him? Yes. He said, you believe I can. And he says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I want to believe. Show me how to believe. Uh, we just got back from Florida. And the same waves that were coming up this year were coming up 45 years ago. They're unpredictable. They churn everything up when they come up. And James says, the doubter is like those waves of the sea, always churning, always restless. They never stop. So he says, ask without doubt. God, I trust you. I'll not let anything get me off of your course. Abraham. Abraham had a promise from God that you'll have a son. And that son will become a mighty nation. And Abraham said, I believe. And then he waited and waited and got older and older and older. And finally, his wife said, we're too old. We must have missed God's plan. Something's wrong because no way are we going to have children. So we have a plan. You can have a child with my servant, Hagar. And Abraham did. And, and from that day forward, 
Israel has been vexed by that decision of Abraham's. Abraham didn't wait on God. And and we can see in his life that took a long time for that plan to come about. And he never saw the end of it. He never saw the result of God's plan. But it did happen. And we'll wrap this up real quick. Uh, Verses 7 and 8 says, That man, the man who doubts, don't even think that you'll receive anything from the Lord. You're double-minded, unstable in all that you do. Double-minded. Again, it's that idea of being restless, of having divided loyalty. Yes, I want to believe God, but eh, I'm just not ready to fully believe Don't think you'll receive anything from the Lord. Restless, unsettled, unprincipled, inconsistent. But people who are not doubters, people who believe, are in the Word. They ask in prayer. They have principles that they've built on that foundation of Jesus Christ, and they're stable. I had a wonderful illustration to to end this. And as I worked through the message several times, it's just like God said, why don't we just, instead of an illustration, how about thus saith the Lord? Trials and tests are expected. When we need that foundation, Jesus gave us the answer. In John 16, 33, Jesus is our rock. And he said, in, in John 16, 33, I have told you these things ahead of time. What things did he tell them? This is in the upper room when he's meeting with just his disciples. And he said, here's what he, here's what he told them. I am going away, but I'm going to prepare a place. And I will come back. And when, when I come back, I'll take you to that place I've prepared. Oh, and by the way, while I'm gone, I will send you the Holy Spirit. He will teach you what you need to know while you wait for me. Oh, yeah, and be connected to the vine. Be connected to God through the word, through prayer, through fellowship. Oh, and by the way, you also, you'll be persecuted because of me. So I've told you these things ahead of time. And he ends up in verse 33, and he said, I've told you these things that you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble, but take heart. Perseverance, steadfastness, take heart. I have overcome the world. As we face personal trials or collective trials, God allows those trials so that we can mature So we can be well-rounded. Don't stray from God's plan because it takes time. God's word, read it, study it, memorize, meditate on it, and apply it to your daily life. Pray fervently, expectantly, boldly that God will reveal his plan to you and give you wisdom to work through the trials. This week, as we go out, What foundation do we build on? We sang, Jesus, we build on your love. We build on you. You're our rock. You're our strength. You're our strong tower. 
that should fill us with joy that God has a plan. His plan will succeed.